Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. I'm kind of getting used to things here. Um, I brought that football. Would you hand that to me or throw it to me, Amy? Hopefully I can catch it. Okay, good. All right. Now, you probably think I'm crazy bringing a football in, right? It's Texas. <laughs> it's Texas. I mean, the, pre- the new preacher's supposed to bring his Bible in. The bigger, the better, right? Um, I want to start out by telling you a story about Vince Lombardi. Now, I know some of you probably don't know who Vince Lombardi is. Uh, Vince Lombardi is the name that is on the Super Bowl trophy. Okay? It's called the Vince Lombardi Trophy, and for this reason. In 1961... Vince Lombardi met with 38, that's what the team was back then, 38 of the Green Bay Packers, and they had expected Lombardi to uh, reveal to them the new plays, the new system to, uh, to take them to the next level. The year before, which was, I think, Lombardi's first year, they had fallen short of the championship by one game. The Philadelphia Eagles came back in the fourth quarter and, and beat the Green Bay Packers. And for nine months, Vince Lombardi stewed about losing that game in the final minutes. He just it ate him up. And so, when, uh, when he got up in front of his team in that July day in 1961, he said to his team, this is a football It's a very famous quote. This is a football. Lombardi's intent was to communicate with his players that they were going to start with the fundamentals. Instead of finding some kind of secret play or secret system or secret way to go about their their playing a football that would take them to the next level, Lombardi was going to go back to the fundamentals. Blocking, tackling, catching the ball, running crisply. Uh, and, and being the best at fundamentals in the National Football League. And they were. For the next seven years, Lombardi's team won the NFL championship five times. And after the loss to Philadelphia in 1960, they never lost another playoff game. Not because they had the best plays. Not because they had the best system because they were the best at the fundamentals. Um, I call this series of sermons the starting place. And what I'd like to do over the next few weeks is talk about the fundamentals of the faith, particularly what I believe are those fundamentals as I see them as they come out of the Bible. And for us to look at those fundamentals as a starting place for us as a church. And... And now I want to go back to football. And I want to just ask you a real simple question. How much, I I bought this yesterday. How much did it cost me? Eight bucks? Oh, come on. This is a Franklin 1000. I think it even says somewhere on the box, official NFL. How much? Come on, eight bucks. Too much? No. 
40? No, I didn't cost that much. I bought it on sale. It was regularly $29.99. I bought it for $14.99 plus tax. Okay? And in my hands, this football is worth $14.99. Now, in Tom Brady's hands, in Matt Stafford's hands, in Dak Prescott's hands, this football is worth millions. The value of the football depends on the hands that hold it. Right? In the same way, the value of our lives depends on the hands that hold it. Amy played basketball in, in high school. I'm going to see how she does. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> on the hands that hold it. And in looking at Jesus' hands, let's go to the Gospel of John. And I'd like just to kind of give a little setup to chapter 6 that Jana read for you. Because what John is doing in these first few chapters is that he is setting up the fundamentals of what it means to follow Jesus. The fundamentals to put our lives in Jesus' hands and the results that take place when we do so. In chapter 2, John tells us the story of the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And you probably know that story. Jesus goes to the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and they run out of wine. Anybody been doing weddings where they run out of wine lately? It, at the first service, there were a lot of them that went to parties. <laughs> where they ran. Nobody? I mean, y'all probably go to wedding parties where they don't have anything to drink, do you? Well, anyway, okay. Well, they run out of wine at this, at this wedding banquet. And so, this is really, to me, this is, this is kind of funny. And, and I'm not sure what John's trying to tell us in doing so. But instead of going to Jesus to ask Jesus if he can do something, they go to Jesus' mother. You know, I, like, okay, if we go to Jesus' mother, Jesus won't say no to his mother. You know, and so she goes to Jesus and she says, hey, can you do anything? They've run out of wine. And, uh, and he says, what do you want me to do? And, she, and so he takes these jars of water. Now, what we know about jars of water that would typically be in a house is that typically jars of water, um, as John describes them, were used for ceremonial purposes. They weren't just used to drink, but for ceremonial purposes, for the Jewish ceremonies. Those are the jars that Jesus chooses. He blesses them and turns them into wine. Wine in the Bible represents joy. Do you hear what John's trying to tell us? That Jesus is taking that which is old and worn out. And through his blessing and through the laying on of his hands, he's taking it and making it into something new and joyous and life-giving. Then in chapter 3, John tells us the story of Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's got questions for Jesus. He's curious about Jesus' teachings. And so he's, he's asking Jesus about this new life that Jesus is talking about. And of course we know, and that's where the famous passage is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And as we take a look at, the ch at chapter 3, embedded in there in the Greek, that John, as John tells this story, is the importance of faith and belief and the new life that results by turning our life over to Jesus. Then in chapter 4, John tells us two stories. The first story is a story about a Samaritan woman who comes in the daytime to get her water, which meant that she couldn't come in the morning and the evening when it, when, it was, when it was cool because she was rejected by the community. Now, there's two things about this story. Number one is, is that Jesus approached a woman, which a Jew was not supposed to do. And second, she was a Samaritan. And he approaches her and offers her a different kind of water, water that brings new life. And, and then with... John moves into the story about Jesus coming to Jerusalem and going out of his way to go to the pool of Bethsaida. And there he heals an outcast paralytic. And what John is telling us is that one of the fundamentals of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we are to accept those outside of our, of our family. That all people have a place within the community of God. Joy, faith, and inclusion. And now in chapter 6, we get an even deeper understanding of the fundamentals of Jesus. I call it the multiplication of Jesus' hands. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's an, it's, to me, this is one of the most fascinating stories in the New Testament. It it's told by all four Gospels. It's the only miracle story other than the resurrection that's told by all four, uh, all four of the Gospels. So obviously it's important to the, to the disciples that they would continually repeat this story over and over again that it would end up in all four Gospels. But Jesus has been teaching. People are following him to hear his teaching. And what we're told is that it has come to the end of the day and the people are hungry, 5,000. Now, we can multiply that because in that day, sorry ladies, they only counted the men. So you can multiply that at least by three because the kids always went with mom and dad or four. There were 15 to 20,000 there. And, and so Jesus says to his disciples, and John tells us it was a test, he wanted to see how far they'd come. He says, what are we going to do? And Philip steps forward first. Philip steps forward and uh, shows us the importance of letting go of our limitations. Because Philip saw the limitation. And if, and if we're truly going to follow Jesus, if we're truly going to put our life in his hands, we've got to let go of those limitations. Because what, what Philip does, he counts the cost. And he says to Jesus, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for them to have a little. And Philip is right. Philip is absolutely right. Six months' wages would not have bought, bought enough bread, would, would only have bought enough bread for them to have uh, a little bit. But that's not who Jesus is. 
You know, I kid that Philip would make a good finance chair in a church. No offense, um, because we're all like that. We all count the cost. We all look at the situation from the th- on its surface and do not even consider what God may want, what the vision of God may be. We see the barriers, we see the problems, we get anxious. Jesus, there's no way that we can feed these people. There's no way. Andrew sees the situation with eyes of faith. Andrew sees the situation with eyes of faith, but what we learn is that the eyes of faith are... (laughs) that's, That's a great step, but it's not the full step. Because what Andrew says is that... Andrew says... Jesus, there is a lad here with five barley loaves and two fish. And then he realizes what he said. You know, I mean, can you imagine? You've got, got 20,000 people. Let's imagine that a, a, you know, a high school, big high school, that Allen Stadium or one of the Plano stadiums. They all have 20,000 in the McKinney stadiums now. I, I drove by one of them. They're pretty big now. It's just amazing to me. Um, the whole, it's, it's full, and, and someone says to the, to the crowd, we've got a lad here with five barley loads and two fish, y'all have a feast. And that's what Andrew realized. He realized, this is crazy. This is nuts. Five barley loads and two fish is not going to do anything. What is that among so many? He saw for a moment. He saw for a moment. And then he let... The doubts. Jesus then approaches the boy, and the boy still is willing to, t- to sacrifice his lunch. And, and, and really, that is the, the last step toward truly putting our lives in, in, in Jesus' hands, to surrender wholly, not knowing what the results are going to be. It, to me, it's, it's sad that we focus on the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Because as, as you remember, you know, Jesus blessed the bread and broke it, and then he also blessed the fish and broke it, and all had enough, more than enough, that they were able to collect 12 baskets full. And so we just, we just get in awe of the, of, the, of the miracle that takes place here. But what about the boy? The boy's the one that had enough faith to put his lunch in Jesus' hands. I mean, I, I, I just try, to, I try in my mind's eye to, to see this boy as he gives what he has to Jesus. And, and the look on his face and the look on Jesus' face as, as he is looking at the boy and this exchange of looks takes place between the two of them. I hope there's a day when Jesus looks at me that way. Don't you? When we have given all that we have, when we have put our lives wholly in Jesus' hands, and we see the look on his face. And then, and then can you imagine how that boy must have felt as he saw Jesus break the bread and break the bread and break the bread and break the fish, and it just spread out among the crowd in waves to feed everyone? I mean, can you imagine? I just I wonder what happened to that boy after that day. 
I mean, that boy will never be the same again. That boy will never be the same again. He will not walk away from that place without his whole life before him being changed and knowing that there is more to life than just this flesh and blood, that there is more to life than what it seems that the limitations are telling me, that we, when we put our lives in Jesus' hands, that the possibilities go beyond our greatest imaginations. So I just kind of challenge, are you willing to put your life in Jesus' hands? Are you willing to put your family in Jesus' hands? Are you willing in whatever way that you can to put this community, to put this church in Jesus' hands? And and you may say, well, I've really already done that. Really? You know, I, I know that's the biggest challenge. And, and the way that I kind of measure myself is that I look at my checkbook. Because <laughs> my checkbook tells me where my priorities are. You know, how I spend my money. I look at my calendar to see how I spend my time. I, uh, and, and I can see there where my priorities are. I, I look at my possessions what I like to do. Have I really put my life in Jesus' hands? Do I really believe in the miracles of Jesus and what Jesus might do with my life, my family, this church? When I look at this church, this church has location, it has history, it has leadership. I've, this is my first Sunday to be with you, but I've been kind of hanging around for the last couple of weeks. And everybody I talk to is excited about this church. They love this church. They're committed to this church. It has the membership. It has the legacy. And friends, we have the message. We have the message of life. There should be nothing that holds us back from being all that God has intended Stonebridge to be as the church of Jesus Christ that is expanding and multiplying in terms of its message and its outreach and bringing people into the presence of God. The question is, have we truly and wholly put this church in Jesus' hands? Have we instead, maybe, as the Green Bay Packers players were tempted, just, well, let's find some quick fix. (laughs) You know, some new play, some trick play. You know, maybe there's a certain way that I need to pray or some scripture that I need to read or some some practice that I need to, to, to... and, and all those things are good. I don't want to. I don't want to take away from it because it is. It is a part of growing in the faith to be to be in prayer. It is a part of growing in the faith to be in the scriptures. It's a part of growing in faith to be in worship, to participate in the life of the church, and to be a growing and developing. But the question is, have we completely surrendered ourselves, our family, our household, our church? to the hands of Jesus. 
John Ed Matheson tells the story of, uh, on a stewardship Sunday, uh, he was going around to the children's classes during the Sunday school hour, and the kids were making those church banks. Have you all ever done that here? Where the kids can put their, their coins in the bank and then bring them up to the church on Commitment Sunday. Um, and it, you can make them out of a lot of different things, but um, he was going around, he's ooh and on about the different churches that the kids had made. And there was one particular church that this little boy had made that was obviously the boy had spent a lot of time on. And so Matheson picks it up and he goes, oh my goodness, he says, this is absolutely incredible. He said, did, did you paint this on your own? Yes, sir, I did. Did you, you know, he kept asking questions. And, and finally the little boy interrupts and says, wait a minute, Pastor. Be careful. You've got our church in your hands. You've got our church in your hands. And are we willing to give it over to the hands of Jesus? And, and that is not to say to remove ourselves, nor to exempt ourselves, and to say, okay, that's Jesus, and I'm going to go. No, it actually means even a higher willingness to say, yes, as I give it to Jesus, so I give myself, my whole self, fully and completely to what God may do. To what God may do. I don't know what, I'm just getting to know you. I don't know what God's doing in your life right now. I don't know what you may be struggling with. I hope to find out, and I, uh, I look forward to being your pastor. Um, but I hope together that we can see the value of putting ourselves in the hands of Jesus to see the miracles that may take place, to see the multiplication that may happen around us, to see what God may do and God's vision for our future. That just, that's, I, that's why I get up in the morning. That's why I get up in the morning. I get up in the morning to take another step for that. I get up in the morning to see that person who, who has made that decision. Yes, pastor, let's, let's go. Yes, pastor, let's see what Jesus can do. That's why I get up in the morning. And I just invite you to join me in that. Let's see what Jesus can do. Let's see what Jesus can do. Um, one quick story and I'm done. Story about uh, family. They had... It had one child. He was four years old. They were trying to have another one. And uh, mom and dad were asleep and awakened by a thunderstorm. Loud thunderstorm. Loud clashing with the lightning. And mom immediately thought about her four-year-old and that he would be afraid. And so she gets out of bed and she's going down the hallway and she can hear her child screaming. And she thinks, oh no. I need to get to him as quickly as possible. And now she's running, and she throws open the door. And what she finds is that her little boy had gotten up on the seal of the, the, the window seal and had, his, had opened the curtains and had his hands up on the window, and he was shouting, 
Do it again, Jesus. Do it again. Do it again, Jesus. Light up the sky. Do it again. For Stonebridge, Jesus, do it again. Let's pray. Lord God, we look to you. We thank you in advance for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And we take none of the credit. For as you take our lives, our families, our community, our church into your hands, it's not about us. It is about you. And so now, oh God, we totally and completely dedicate ourselves to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.